Welcome to Trinity on Tap, the Old Testament, a podcast series brought to you by Trinity College Queensland, presented by Dr. Paul Jones. 4.1, an open future. Well, hello and welcome back. Hey, if you're still working through this series, I just want, to, want, want you to know that I am chuffed about that. I'm glad that you've made it to part four. Really pleased that you've worked through chaos, creation and covenant and that you're still here pressing on into part four, which is called crisis. So let me say a few words about why crisis is our next theme before we get into it. It's not just that it was the next word starting with C that I thought of. It's uh, because crisis is actually the next chapter in the Old Testament story. So here's the basic timeline, which again is on the PDF. Israel was delivered from Egypt and established a covenant with with Yahweh at Mount Sinai. Israel wanders towards the promised land and eventually takes it under the leadership of Joshua and the judges. The monarchy kicks off with Samuel anointing Saul and David and then hundreds of years pass under the rules of various kings in the north and south. During that time, a whole bunch of prophets warn Israel and Judah of the coming judgment for their resistance against God and their breaking of the covenant. And then Israel falls first to Assyria in 722 BC, and after that, Judah is crushed by Babylon about 130 years later in 587 BC. So both those events, as you can imagine, cause a major crisis for God's people. And as we'll see, I don't mean a, I don't just mean a political or military crisis, although of course it is that. The defeat and exile of God's covenant people causes a major theological crisis that you and I can probably relate to. Namely, what do we do when God seems absent? How are we to understand God's character when he appears to have left us? So now we begin this new topic and we're going to look at crisis from two different perspectives. In the first two podcasts, we'll uh, take a sort of prophetic perspective through the eyes of Jeremiah and see what God says to the people through this tough individual. And in the third and fourth podcasts, Under the same theme, we'll look at crisis from a wisdom perspective through the eyes of Job in particular. So as I said at the start of the series, I'm trying to give you a sense of the chronology of the Old Testament, right? The the order of events, but also an overview of major themes and books. So this is a good spot for us to explore some of the wisdom literature in the Old Testament, or at least to begin to. We'll look at that a bit more in the next section under calling as well. But this is our context. All right, in the last podcast, we looked at an unusual text in Jeremiah about the linen shorts, you remember, and we're going to stay with Jeremiah now and build further on our understanding of those enacted parables that we looked at. So assuming you haven't been on holidays for two weeks between the last podcast and this one, I'm hoping you remember what we said about enacted parables, essentially that they're symbolic actions of prophets, something like street theatre, that are enacted in public and then explained in front of the people. Kind of like a a really dramatic sermon illustration. Not just words, but actions with words. Usually the action first, and then when people are sort of perplexed and intrigued, then the words of explanation come. Now, one thing you may have noticed when we looked at Jeremiah 13 is that enacted parables sometimes use a prop to add symbolic meaning to the spoken message. In Jeremiah 13, the prop was Jeremiah's linen shorts or the loincloth or the ephod, however you translate that. So just briefly, let me give you another couple of examples so you can see what I'm talking about. In 1 Kings 11, the prophet Ahijah tears up a cloak into 12 pieces 
and each of those pieces represents a part of the kingdom, the 12 tribes. And he gives 10 of those pieces to Jeroboam to symbolize the fact that Jeroboam is going to be king over 10 nations. In 1 Kings 22, Zedekiah uses a pair of iron horns. I don't know where he got those. Maybe the reject shop, I guess, to tell the king that he will gore his enemies. So he's just pulled that out as he's prophesying uh, as a nice little prop. In Ezekiel 5, Ezekiel shaves in public and uses his freshly shaved hair to illustrate something to an onlooking crowd. That's one I can identify with. Uh, Just shave the beard off, divide the hair into three parts and explain what all the different parts mean. You can read that for yourself. Fascinating. In Jeremiah 19, Jeremiah, Jeremiah, and we're going to look at this today, actually. In Jeremiah 19, Jeremiah buys a pot and then smashes it as a way of telling Israel about the judgment that's coming. And in Isaiah 20, as Isaiah walks around naked, but naked for three years to signify what's going to happen to Egypt. I guess that one doesn't really have a prop per se. And one of the most striking enacted parables sorry, in the Old Testament relevant to our theme of crisis is Hosea's marriage to a prostitute as an enactment or an embodiment, a reflection of God's relationship with Israel. And I'd encourage you to read Hosea 1 to 3 if you're not familiar with that story. It's quite an incredible story and, and an incredible expression of God's love for his people. So as we've already seen, Israel violates the covenant that was made with God until finally God says, enough, that's enough. So Israel is attacked by Assyria and defeated in 722 BC. If you want to read about that, it's 2 Kings 17. And then our attention turns to Judah in the south. And the big question here is, is Judah going to learn from what's happened to Israel in the north? Or are they just going to follow Israel down the same path? And that's our context for reading and understanding the prophet Jeremiah. Jeremiah lives in Jerusalem, which is the capital of Judah. And so he's in the south. And this is around the 6th century BC. He's prophesying to the Judeans about the coming judgment. Judah is in crisis, no doubt about that. And what I want to do today is look at two key texts in Jeremiah that appear back to back. And both of them contain important symbols that hint at Judah's fate and what's at stake. The big questions for Judah at this point are, what is going to happen? Can Judah do anything about the situation that they're in? Or is it too late? So these two chapters provide an answer to that question for Judah. But they also inform our thinking about our options when we're in crisis mode. The two chapters are Jeremiah 18 and 19. So let's take a quick walk through these two stories. First, Jeremiah 18. The word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord, Come, go down to the potter's house, and there I will let you hear my words. So I went down to the potter's house, and there he was working at his wheel. The vessel he was making of clay was spoiled in the potter's hand, and he reworked it into another vessel, as seemed good to him. Then the word of the Lord came to me, Can I not do with you, O house of Israel, just as this potter has done, says the Lord. Just like the clay in the potter's hand, so are you in my hand, O house of Israel. At one moment I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. But if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will change my mind 
about the disaster that I intended to bring on it. And at another moment, I may declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will build and plant it. But if it does evil in my sight, not listening to my voice, then I will change my mind about the good that I had intended to do to it. Now, therefore, say to the people of Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem, thus says the Lord, look, I'm a potter shaping evil against you and devising a plan against you. Turn now all of you from your evil way and amend your ways and your doings. And then the last verse, but they say it's no use. We will follow our own plans and each of us will act according to the stubbornness of our evil will. All right, so in summary, the image or the prop here is obviously the clay on the potter's wheel. A couple of things to notice. On first impressions, this metaphor, it seems to put everything in God's hands, quite literally, right? With very left, little, very little left to human responsibility. You know, God is in charge as the potter and we're just the malleable clay. However, this potter-clay relationship, it's not so one-sided as it seems because the clay is on a potter's wheel, right? So that means it's, it's not just a, a lump of clay just sitting there waiting to be formed. When clay is spinning on a wheel, it generates a force of its own. And in fact, as Yahweh goes on to explain, uh, when he explains the significance of this metaphor to Jeremiah, that's exactly the point he's trying to make. Even when God has foretold his intentions through a prophet, Israel's response, Israel's ability to generate a force of its own in response to the prophetic word is taken seriously. Seriously enough that God might even change his mind about his proposed course of action. It's one of the most stunning statements in the Old Testament about God's responsive character. Don't you think? God doesn't just act in some arbitrary way towards us. He pays close attention to how you speak, how you behave, how you speak, how you pray, and he changes his responses to us as we change our response to him. And it's not just Jeremiah that teaches this principle. It's not a strange idea that we find in just one part of the Bible. This is the principle behind Moses urging the Israelites to obey the law too. He says in Deuteronomy 30 verse 19, I call heaven and earth to witness against you today that I've set before you life and death, blessings and curses. Choose life so that you and your descendants may live. In other words, the choices you make will determine whether you receive blessings or curses. Or we could go to Jonah, where the whole book leans very heavily on this principle. See, Nineveh repents when they hear Jonah's tiny little sermon, and God relents from bringing judgment on them, right? It's the same Hebrew word that we read in Jeremiah, a word that means God changed his mind. And it appears over 40 times in the Old Testament. So it's not something that just happens once here or there. This dynamic of divine responsiveness is all the way through the Old Testament. But we better keep moving. So, to sum up, in a nutshell, the image here in Jeremiah 18 is of malleable clay. That's us, right? In times of crisis, Jeremiah is reminding us of our malleability, our ability to choose how we will respond to our circumstances. And he's reminding us that how we behave will affect God's decisions about the future. Now, with that in mind, let's go briefly to Jeremiah 19, the next chapter, 
which contains a contrasting image within another enacted parable. Right, from Jeremiah 19 verse 1, it says this, Thus said the Lord, Go and buy a potter's earthenware jug, take with you some of the elders of the people and some of the senior priests, and go out to the valley of the son of Hinnom at the entry of the potsherd gate, and proclaim there the words that I tell you. You shall say, Hear the word of the Lord, O kings of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Thus says the Lord of of hosts, the God of Israel, I am going to bring such disaster upon this place that the ears of everyone who hears it will tingle. Because the people have forsaken me and have profaned this place by making offerings in it to, to other gods whom neither they nor their ancestors nor the kings of Judah have known, and because they have filled this place with the blood of the innocent and gone on building the high places of Baal to burn their children in the fire as burnt offerings to Baal, which I did not command or decree, nor did it enter my mind. Therefore, the days are surely coming, says the Lord, when this place shall no more be called Topheth, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of slaughter. And then if we just jump down to verse 10, we read this. This is God speaking to Jeremiah. Then you shall break the jug in the sight of those who go with you. And you shall say to them, Thus says the Lord of hosts, So will I break this people and this city as one breaks a potter's vessel so that it can never be mended. In this second story, which I think is deliberately juxtaposed with the first, we see what happens to a people who've hardened their hearts against God. So just as the malleable clay in Jeremiah 18 has become a hardened pot in Jeremiah 19, that's exactly what's happened to the hearts of the Judeans. God has made it clear to them that if they had softened their hearts and turned towards him, there would have been mercy and forgiveness. But that's not what happens. Judah hardens her heart against Yahweh so many times that God just gets tired of that whole ordeal. Listen to this really striking verse in Jeremiah 15, 6. You have rejected me, says the Lord. You're going backwards. So I've stretched out my hand against you and destroyed you. I am weary of relenting. And it's that verb, changing my mind. I'm weary of changing my mind. I'm tired of changing my mind towards you. This has to come to an end. You ever been in a situation in your life where sometimes things have to get worse? before they can get better? Do you know what I mean? I think this is clearly one of those times. Israel must die in some sense to make resurrection a possibility. So here we are. We're faced with these two images. And when you next find yourself in a time of crisis, I would encourage you to try to remember these two images. Malleable clay in God's hands and a hardened pot that has to be broken. I probably don't need to spell it out, but our lives follow a similar pattern, don't they? For as long as we're responsive to the nudging of the Holy Spirit, we remain pliable in God's hands. But when we just give in again and again and again to the human propensity to muck things up, we eventually become numb and hardened. And often it's only a crisis in our lives at that point that can break us and wake us to be refashioned in God's image. 
So the questions I want to conclude with are along these lines. And yes, obviously, they're going to be personal questions for you to think about. But what is the condition of your heart at this point in your life? In what ways are you perhaps being stubborn and unreceptive? As these passages suggest, it's, it's sometimes that rigidness that just closes you off to positive future possibilities. But don't just think on the negative stuff. In what ways are you being molded and shaped at the moment? We're human beings, not, not rocks, so we're always in a state of flux. We're always moving in one direction or another, right? So just ask yourself, how are you in change, in flux, in development or growth at the moment? Which direction are you going in? What shape are you taking on? See you soon. This podcast was brought to you by Trinity College Queensland. Honest answers to tough questions. Visit trinity.qld.edu.au to learn more.